0: Okay, so you know I don't like to give advice unless people ask, but since you're asking, my two pieces of advice would be this. One, listen to your gut always, right? It's never wrong. Two, monitor and protect your inner circle fiercely. Your inner circle today will predict where you'll be in five years. Take care of the people that take care of you in that circle and be as generous with them as they are with you. You are now listening to Talk Shop
1: with Alan Evke. Welcome to the Talk Shop podcast. You're one of the first of few to be on this podcast so far. I've been begging you to make some time to hop on already. Finally, we're in the presence of Thomas Tona. <laughs> it's
0: good to be here, good to be here.
1: Tom, I wrote a list of questions. The first question for those people that don't know that are listening, I want you to explain what you do
0: sure so i founded and manage a law firm tona law we are a litigation law firm and we have three main silos of business personal injury where we represent injured parties uh, no fault collections where we represent approximately 350 institutional healthcare providers and then we do breach contract litigation for individuals and businesses uh, for people that are party to a contract that is in various stages of breach
1: That's when we became friends. Remember when I had that one breach of contract lawsuit? Yeah,
0: yeah. I talked you out of suing somebody that you were ready to sue.
1: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't worth it. Didn't make enough sense. Would take too long. All these factors. And you talked me out of it. And uh, that's why we became good friends in the beginning too. Because you didn't just try and get my business. You know, you just wanted what what was best for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, listen, I also, you know, I remember meeting you and spending about two hours of time just sitting there talking through everything. And I remember walking out saying, man, I'm going to end up doing a lot of business with him, even though I'm talking him out of doing business right now.
1: Yeah, and we have. We've done plenty. So, I mean, a few things so far, not plenty, but I've introduced you. You've introduced me to a lot of people who have been trying to do deals. And yeah. Every, yeah. every real estate deal we try and do. Somebody seems to be an absolute moron in the deal, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's always, listen, I think nowadays having somebody who knows litigation on your team of people is a valuable asset to have. That doesn't mean you're going to go around suing everybody. It means if you're with a litigation firm, the end game or the end threat of we'll see you in court doesn't phase you anymore.
1: Yeah. You're so right. You're so right. Because I that feeling for me has totally evaporated since we've become good friends. Like any because
0: that's where we live. We live in court. So
1: Yep. And every time we talk, you're like, I will destroy them. (laughs) Hold (laughs) on. How many people are on the team right now, Tom?
0: So we are ten in-house. I have a team of people overseas um we just expanded to another country in terms of developing a team uh for outsourcing purposes so in-house we have three attorneys we have seven power professionals um one of the things that i i think has been key for us is our team and our culture i give them credit for everything at this point Uh, i've spent about the last seven years really developing that culture so I have a team of high performers that are in a high tech environment and their output is equal. We can, we can output legal production, legal work at two and a half to three times what other firms do. So we're actually putting out work. That's the equivalent of a firm of of 25 to 30.
1: Wow. Sick.
0: All through technology and a players, all of my all of the people on my team are paid. You know my philosophy. I pay people at the top end of the scale plus plus. Um, I give them a ton of freedom and they all take on tremendous responsibility for the results of the firm.
1: Yep, and they bring. They all seem to bring in business. Every time we talk, you tell me somebody else brought in business. I know you're the main one pumping the machine, right? You're bringing in most of the business, uh, but it seems like you built like a solid team That's always looking to help tone a law and build together.
0: Yeah, always. I mean, one of the things that we've really been uh, happy about is the fact that people tie their own success to the success of the firm. You know, so basically we do these vision meetings and we're like, look, what do you want? You know, is it recognition? Is it money? You know, what do you want for the future? Put it on paper and let's see how you achieve that through what you do with the firm.
1: I love that, those vision meetings. And where did you come up with that? Was that from the uh, the business coach? I d- didn't mention that, but you have like a business coach, right, that you looped in and you told me that's a vital part of the business. Yeah. Two business coaches, one private and then one that specifically works with lawyers.
0: So no, they both work only with lawyers, almost exclusively with lawyers. One is a group dynamic, right? And the name of the organization is Atticus, uh, Atticus Online or Atticus Advantage. They're a law firm marketing group and they run group coaching. So I would fly to Dallas four times a year and we're meeting with all similar bracketed Owners of law firms, same revenue numbers, roughly, okay. um, same size and scale. And we're taking part in a collaborative coaching effort where we coach each other, we bounce ideas like a mastermind. Um, I wanted more tailored one-on-one, so I hired one of their coaches to give me an hour and a half a week every week. So then I get tailored advice on top of the higher level stuff that we do at the quarterly meetings
1: how much does something like that cost
0: uh i don't look at it as an expense i look at it as an investment yeah so yeah. in all candor it's probably around a $30,000 investment for both pieces per year per year i want to say i want to say about 30 i could be off by a few thousand uh but the ROI has been tremendous. I mean, when I tell you that, you know me, I think only in terms of ROI when I spend money. So if I tell you that the minimum ROI on that is three to 10 X, hands down, hands down.
1: Wow, sick. And you know, I've never had a business coach. So I'm uh, only from you, only from hearing what it's done for you is why I've considered getting one. I just don't think I found the right one for me yet.
0: I think you got to be careful. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mediocre talent in the space to begin with. Um, So I think you got to ask around at the people that are in your inner circle that either do it where they're engaging in coaching. Um, That's the best way I, I think to find somebody who's really solid, but yeah, listen, I recommend it. You also have a very strong circle of mentors though. So you kind of get a lot of that. The only thing that you, that you might not get is the granular. Like, hey, Elon, this is why time management is important. Yeah. This is why marketing is important and always be marketing. Now, you're a born marketer, so that's not going to be a missing piece for you, right? Um, time management was huge for me. Uh, it also helped me find a good quality of life. You know, taking a month off to go to Europe with my family and my machine is still humming here. Yeah, You know, and my clients don't feel anything but... The same thing they would get no matter where i
1: am and that's why you're such a good lawyer because you constantly have that incredible service and everything going on all the time
0: It's all about the clients man it's all about the clients
1: you know and and i guess that you you know we're saying like coaching really they're like consultants right, right but, but well yeah
0: that's what they are yeah
1: Yep. And then like with me, people always say like, how do you find the right mentor? It's not like I picked my mentors. They happen to be my partners. It just so happens that they've done very, very well over the years. So they show me what they've done and people like me and you, you know, we're friends, but you also give me guidance on things that I have not yet experienced. You know, when there's a market pullback, what should you, what should you look at? Because this happened back in 08. Although obviously coronavirus was totally different. Um, but, uh, but you know what I mean? So it's, it's just different names, but the same hats, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what makes a good lawyer? I always hear people saying like my lawyer is horrible. My lawyer is horrible. I feel it all the time with some of my real estate attorneys. They don't answer. They don't this, they don't that. They drive me insane. And you've always been on point every time I've had to call you or talk or anything outside of just being friends. So, you know, I bet there's a lot of people that are listening, that are wondering themselves or that will be listening, what makes a good attorney?
0: So to me, one of the things, so first of all, I hire attorneys outside to work on my business, right? So I have an ethics attorney in the city. She costs me $1,000 an hour. Why? I want to make sure I'm on point with all of my marketing, with all of my employment practices. So I have a compliance attorney in the city. She's one of the top Uh, compliance attorneys for law firms. And I get white glove treatment every time. So I want my staff and my attorneys and myself to treat my clients the way I would be treated if I was writing a check. Yeah, And that's what makes a good attorney. As much communication as you want, right? Some people don't need a lot of communication. Some people want immediate communication. Right, Some people are like, just send me a text, I'm good. But if somebody's spending on a private breach contract litigation, $35,000 right, in legal fees, don't you think they wanna be kept up to date and hear from their lawyer once a month what's going on? I know I would, right? So what makes a good lawyer also is having the bandwidth, not taking every case and having the bandwidth to lawyer the cases you're taking the best you can, right? Don't take everything you can because you're worried about where your next check is coming from. If you're going to take it, do it to the nth degree of excellence, right? Make it so that that client has no choice, but to say, wow, a five-star review is not enough for what you guys did for me.
1: Wow. Well said. I had I had a follow up question that was going to say what type of mistakes do lawyers typically make? But it seems like you basically just touched on that when you said they take too much business and don't lawyer it accordingly.
0: or lack of communication, like you were just saying, right, which is crazy to me because you can reach my office through text message. Zoom, Skype, email, telephone, social media. We just added a Calendly link so anybody that's on the internet that wants to schedule a calendar intake consultation with my intake person or personal injury, clicks the link, gets her calendar, and they're in her calendar automatically.
1: You're constantly right. automating all the time. What's that? Constantly automating things all the time. All the
0: time. So to me, you know, you know me. How many phone calls do I do in the car, from the car, text messages? You always know what's going on. Right, with anything I'm working on for you. So it's baffling to me that people are still getting grievances against them because their attorneys are not communicating. It's the number one source of grievances against attorneys. Failure to communicate.
1: Dude, Failure I go through it all the time. My real estate attorneys, I have like eight of them right now. And it's because I you know, you give one too much business, he stops responding, all your eggs are in that basket, and all of a sudden you're in trouble because your attorney isn't responsive. So Which? I've
0: you know it's crazy to me like I know the amount of volume you're doing in real estate. If I'm a real estate attorney, you're gonna be on speed dial with me. And yeah. Anything you want to know, you will get a text message, a call. What, what why would they listen? Get an assistant then. If you're creating that much business for a real estate attorney, hire a junior assistant, and her job is to communicate with the law yeah. Right? Yeah. And think about the math. Let's say for a second, you spend a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees or $200,000 in legal fees in a year, hire an assistant for 30, 40 grand. And her sole job is to communicate with you. Yep. Otherwise, they are going to lose that business to somebody else like me, who will get a real estate attorney in here, communicate with you the way I always have, and I'll just take the business away.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you had a real estate attorney in-house, then we would be doing that, but whatever. Well, I think about it
0: all the time. I think about it all the time because I know I can make you happy.
1: Yeah, I know
0: I can do it.
1: You know what? I just no. got this new real estate attorney. Um, his name's Ross, and he uh, he brought on an assistant, just like what you said. This really aggressive kid from Hofstra University. I met him the other day for the first time in person, and he answered. He calls me at eleven p.m. to get deals done. You know, he's been so responsive, morning, tonight, anytime. I've got his cell number. I love it, I love it. You know, I'm very happy with him and I hope it continues because the trend seems to be, I give them two, three, four deals, all of a sudden, they drop off, right? You know, it's remember we got in that, I, you recommended that one attorney and I'm like, huh. He won't give me a cell phone number. I don't want to work with him. You know,
0: the guy- And listen, I kind of get it from your standpoint. You're like, look, I have I have $100 million investors that pick up my call on one ring. What a, what attorney is doing $100 million a year that he can't, he's too important. He has to have a barrier. I get it. Like some firms, it's a procedural thing because they're in court. They're worried about the calls falling through the cracks. Oh, I spoke to Alan from court. And now I don't know I have something scheduled because it's not centralized. That's kind of the philosophy that some firms employ. For me, I have Slack. So no matter where I am, if I set an appointment with you, I Slack Janeer, I'm like, put it in the calendar or I put it in myself on my phone. It's just different. I'm very I love tech and what it allows me to do as far as leveraging time and people.
1: Yeah, by the way, we should have bought Chewy stock. I think I called it nobody trusted me i'm very upset about not buying chewy stock
0: what happened to it
1: it's just been booming it's up like 40 percent since i talked about it like a month ago what whatever
0: so the other the other thing that i was thinking about when you asked like what mistakes lawyers typically make is working in their business versus on their business right so if if you come to me like i want you to do my real estate i'm not going to do the closings you're not ever going to see me at a closing. I will tell you that at the gate. That doesn't mean they won't be done excellent because you know the people I hire and you know the hiring systems I have. Yeah. But I'm always working on the business. I'm going to look at it and say, okay, Alon's going to generate 150 grand a year. I need an attorney who's going to handle the closings and he might need a dedicated assistant just for the communications end of it, right? That's working on the business. And I think too many attorneys are caught up, especially with Corona. Everybody's panicking in, Oh my God, I got to scramble. I got to get the legal fees in. I got to do the work. So they don't have time to pick up calls. They don't have time to do what is good customer service and marketing. And I forget the exact math, but it, it costs, I think five times as much to acquire a new client yeah. as to keep an existing client. So why wouldn't you take better care of your existing clients? Of course. Right? That, that's
1: the, the philosophy I try to embody. I've, uh, I know it's different for every industry, but I think in like e-commerce I heard once, it's like 10x to get yeah. a new client rather than, you know, retain an existing one. So yeah. you're a hundred, you're on the money as usual. <laughs> Thank you. What made you become a lawyer? Um, well, wait, wait, before, before we get into that, funny story every time i speak to another attorney about tom tona tom already knows this they go tom the guy that used to import furniture and i'm like what do you mean import furniture so were you were you i don't know if i even ever asked you this but before you became an attorney what was the other career what did you do and then what transitioned
0: no so i was already in private practice for myself i already had a very strong personal injury practice at the time and we weren't siloed like we are now with multiple different veins of business. Um, I was approached to do an importing business, marrying up India and China for soft goods and case goods and, um, to import. The problem was we were importing at a time that the internet was making the world a much smaller place. So we had a million-dollar order that had come in from Levitt's. I don't know if you remember Levitt's at the time. Yeah. Thank God we didn't fill the order because they filed bankruptcy within three months. Yeah. Um, And what ended up ultimately happening was we um, shelved that entire project because the internet really cut out importers. You don't need an importer. You can go on any website and get a manufacturer without the need of an importer. Okay. You know, so I ended up shelving it. Um, It wasn't a great outcome for me. Uh, In all honesty, I lost a pretty significant amount of money. But what was amazing is what I took away from it. It was the best learning lesson.
1: How much did you lose?
0: A lot. Multiple seven figures. Multiple Multiple seven 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 figures? figures? Multiple seven figures. And at the time, I felt like the world was coming to an end. And I will tell you that. Um, the value of the education that I learned and things I got and all of the lessons I took away, I would go through it again, just for that reason. It was well worth it. And I made, I'm financially, I'm fine. I made it all back plus plus.
1: Yeah. And it was a huge learning lesson,
0: right? You can't learn from the good stuff. Everybody's a winner when things are good. It's when the things come crashing down. That you really learn about who you are, what kind of business you're really running, and how really good are you at what you're doing. That's when that's when you really see what you're made of.
1: Wow. Very interesting. And while you were saying that in my head, I was like, I wonder when when that crash will happen to me. And I'm like, don't think like that.
0: <laughs> well, listen, there are black swans that come. But you're you're also a black swan-minded guy where you prepare for the worst. You already know most of the variable outcomes that it can occur. And when you prepare for the worst, if the worst never happens, you're fine. And if the worst does happen, you've already planned for it. Yeah. Right? It's the people that don't have a black swan plan. Like I got hit with a black swan in 2016, right? There was a governmental change, my no-fall collection hearings got cut in half for about six months. Pretty significant revenue impact on a monthly basis. I hired my first one-on-one coach and we figured our way through it. We came up with black swan planning and then we catapulted after that. Um, But because I went through that, I was kind of ready when COVID hit. Even though COVID was like the mother of all black swans, I already had all the systems and operations in place To kind of flip whatever levers I needed to flip, to minimize non-essential expenses, maximize revenue, uh, delineate essential versus non-essential staff. And I had all of the triggers pulled within four days after the shutdown occurred. Actually, prior to the shutdown occurring, I pulled most of the triggers.
1: Wow. And not only that, you're like a sponge too. Wherever you could get information, you get it, right? I remember when the crash happened, you called me, you're like, What are you doing while this is going on? What's changing? Everything and you know, I just that's what I love about you too. You don't care how old anybody is, what anybody's experienced, anything. You wanna hear it from every angle. And I think we talked about the main thing we talked about was uh cash. I want as much cash as possible right now. Uh, on hand. Right? So I uh I, I backed out of, um, of a $4 million deal at the time. It was my biggest deal and I did keep going with one deal. So I backed out of a $4 million deal and I pursued a $14 million deal at the time. Um, because I thought that $4 million deal would leave me too cash strapped and then I'd be put myself in a really bad position. And you on the other hand, I remember you talked about tapping lines of credit, investing in the stock market while things are tanking, um, all sorts of things. And I bet I wasn't the only one you called. I bet you called everybody in your phone book, right?
0: I called everybody in my inner circle, right? Like, so you mentioned before about not caring about age. I mean, A, you definitely by far are the youngest guy in my inner circle. That being said, cool. you're, uh, and I say this in all honesty, you're a brilliant business mind. Thank you're, you. you know, you're a great friend. Like, like I really have a good connection with you as a friend. And I think that I can learn from anybody that puts in the work that that is great at what they do. You have a brilliant mind for finance. And yeah, you were one of my first calls. Like, what are you doing in the business? And then I did call my buddy in North Carolina who runs the lar- one of the largest PI firms down there. I was on the phone with my buddy who owns one of the largest PI firms in West Palm Beach. I was on the phone with my coach almost daily because New York got hit way harder than any other state, especially in the legal market.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we did get hit hard. Everybody keeps talking about us living in a bubble. You know, I don't know. I don't know about the legal market. What do you mean by that?
0: So New York, the courts are still essentially crippled, right? Uh, I was reading a statistic that New York City. I want to say New York City last year, they said something like a thousand trials this year from March till I want to say I read it in November. They had had nine trials. So if you're a litigation law firm that. All of a sudden, your personal injury, let's say your personal injury injury inventory was a two-year window from filing of the lawsuit to resolution, 18 months to two years. And we were pretty quick at that turnover, right? Where you were getting to pick a bigger jury and either they were paying you or you're going forward with a trial. Okay. That's been extended out. That's double. Wow. Double. So the firms that were walking around, like we try every case, guess what? For the next four years they better figure out a different plan, right? Um, so yeah, I leaned on the people that I trust, like you, my buddy Herb, the other people that are in my circle that we were all in the same boat. We were okay. all just trying to figure it out.
1: What, you said nine trials?
0: There were nine trials from March through, I want to say October, and I could have that off by a month. What's um, it? Tip- whereas the prior year it was a thousand trials. Wow. Nine, nine. Wow. Now that's going on in every every county, Suffolk, Nassau. So
1: under 1% of the, of the t- trials, trials year over year. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, so think about what that's doing the law firm.
1: It's Not crippled mention, law firm. You know,
0: society as <laughs> a whole in New York, is suffering from like a cultural depression almost like people are just depressed angry sad anxiety ridden the last thing they're worrying about is do they have a personal injury case or go on a treat for it right so you know you've had a, you've got to really look at the big picture what's the global picture and really for me what we figured out is we just have to help people we got to talk to people and see what they want and then try to get them the results they want in this new reality, Yeah. right? But I will tell you, like, I'm fortunate, I'm very blessed. There are law firms that are eight times the size of us that furloughed everybody for the entire time of the shutdown because they weren't in the class, they weren't virtual. Holy
1: Holy shit. shit.
0: They furloughed 80 people.
1: Because they were dated.
0: Because they were what? Dated. Their yeah,
1: systems were yeah.
0: dated, and they just weren't. You know, we implemented cloud technology. I want to say, God, probably like two thousand and four, two thousand and five. And you implemented like we your own CRM. We were one of the first people to have cloud technology, in, in in my knowledge of the space.
1: And you implement, you built your own CRM, right?
0: Well, I know, so like that that. Uh, portal you're talking about my uh it's a case management software okay specific to no fault collections we built it from the ground up i built it over two years because there were no off-the-rack solutions so we're the only ones that have it it gives me a competitive edge and it also allowed me to work seamlessly the day after the shutdown was implemented because it's all in the cloud again so people are doing file uploads digitally all the medical practices everybody so yeah it really allowed us to pivot very quickly
1: that would be a great startup
0: listen I, I offered some very bright people ownership in that in that portal to say hey listen if you want in man i don't know i'm not uh, a tech guy that i know how to you know build a company around me yeah
1: but you I know offer people equity in it you know what i get called i got a call the other day from another friend who's uh who's a doctor and he wants to start a different business with all these systems and it's different and he has an angle and everything and and I said I'd find him I try and find him somebody that would be a good fit and all the time I hear about these young ambitious guys like looking for work or want to start something or want the right team and everything and I don't know why I just can't seem to find the right people to step in and take over and do something like when it's already like let's say 20 percent there right and just take head the ship on I'm, I'm just not seeing that many crazy ambitious people i feel like it's more talk
0: yeah you know? well so i was going to say that you 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 and i have introduced the portal of people right and it's more than 20 percent of the way there i literally have turnkey clients that we can open it up to yeah and i think you know but getting a software company to the five million dollar mark where private equity will look at it right from a purchase or acquisition standpoint that's not easy to do
1: or even As a people, series A standpoint, like a funding, you know, funding standpoint, but, but
0: people, they're hungry, but they're not hungry. Like I'm hungry. They're not hungry. Like you're hungry. You know, I know how late you work into the night on your acquisition analysis and how much work you put into protecting your investors. And And, but people are going to look at you on Instagram or wherever you are and then say, Oh, you know, he it, it makes it look so easy. Of course you make it look easy if you're putting in 18, 20-hour days. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: And just like you said, I had to, I because of so many years of putting in 18 to 20-hour days, seven days a week, I've had to take off Saturday and I've had to start traveling in order to like stay sane and not burn out, you know, because you feel it. You just feel it in you. Like it starts to cripple you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And But again, it's, it's, People think they're hungry till they meet hunger. You want to meet hungry? Sit down and look at the work that you put in or the work that I put in on my law firm. You yeah. know, I'm right. not working legal files. I'm talking about the business of my law firm. You know what I
1: mean? And not only that, the willingness to lose it because they never really feel anything until you actually lose something, you oh, know, like 50. Risk, 50- risk. Yeah. And of course, it's relative to every person. But let's say I've had fifty thousand dollars in my bank account i put up the 50 i put myself in debt on 250 and then i pulled a line uh credit card bill for 80. you know so i'm not going to lose just the 50. i put up 330 on top of my 50 to lose and with high interest debt super risky and now that it's come back awesome now i'm comfortable now i realize what i've done and what mistakes i made do it again learn more learn more learn more but it's that it's that jump it's that risk factor that people say they're hungry but they don't actually take the risk they don't actually prove it you know like what risks are you taking throughout this pandemic
0: so the i really looked at what i've been doing and i will tell you that where in the pandemic i've noticed that there's a huge contraction among law firms and practitioners um i'm scaling i was scaling prior to COVID and we're back in scale and growth. We are, different personalities adapt to risk or perceived risk differently, right? I am a very risk tolerant person. You are a very risk tolerant person. I sleep fine at night when it comes to risk. That doesn't mean that I don't pace the floors if there's stress or, uh, or take stupid risks. Um, but for me, I'm investing right now in my firm. I'm investing in my culture. I am investing. So risks I'm taking specifically, I'm still scaling up my marketing at a time when people are cutting their budgets. Yeah. Right. I'm hiring people at a time when people are firing people. Not only am I hiring people, I'm hiring a talent, which is very expensive. Yeah. So, you know, expanding my marketing base. Um, we just made the decision that we're going to put our top people on our top opportunities, not the biggest problems. And so now we're focused on scale, right? Growing the way we were planning on it, it may be slower, wait, but I'm wait. seeking out what's that
1: top people on top opportunities. Could you repeat that?
0: Sure. I have a team of a players, highly paid a players. I'm not going to put them on problems. I'm going to focus on the opportunities got it that will lead to the fast accelerated growth got it right i'm not going to take a talent like chris who's a savage you know chris um who's an attorney and i'm not going to tie him up on a on a issue that we're having that's really a logistics or operational issue that it's not a priority over what the opportunities are yeah right so i understand um so the risks are you know, we want to be in growth mode. We're looking to acquire practices um, for owners that might be retiring. And I'm not confining it to downstate. Like I would love to find somebody in Buffalo, Albany, as long as they got a personal injury practice or, a sim, you know, a, um, a similar line of business to what we're doing, I'll, I'll entertain that acquisition. You know, um, you can't grow without risk. I mean, look what you're doing. You're doing four closings in a week. Who's doing that right
1: now? You won't believe it, Tom. I backed out of a closing first one in my life. Like with a hard deposit down, I lost the deposit and everything last week. First time I lost Yeah, I know
0: you were gonna tell me what happened, but still you did three closings that week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right?
0: Listen, that takes courage, right? So you can't grow without risk and you can't grow without courage. I'm just not built that way where I'm gonna retract into fear, what if the Corona wave two, what if the vaccine doesn't work? It is what it is. Yeah. You know, so you have to have the ability to pivot and my firm is very nimble in that way. So my perceived risks are a little bit less in that regard. Once I know that it's a smart calculated risk to take. Yeah. Does that answer the question you asked?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. You're looking into acquisitions now, um, which is totally, which is a big change. And it's a faster way to grow, of course, right? Mergers and acquisitions are the best yeah. way to grow. Um, and, uh, and you're doing that during the pandemic when you didn't do that pre-pandemic. So that definitely answers my question.
0: Right, right. Well, I'm just at a different stage too. We were thinking about it pre-pandemic, but we were already set to grow another 20, 30% this year, right? We had a booming year last year. So when COVID hit, first I had to do crisis management and I did that and we came through it and I feel like we're in a great place. Um, And I just realized there's a ton of opportunity and the risks I'm willing to take are, I wanna look at the opportunities and seize on the opportunities. And there's a lot of people who are just curled up in a fetal position figuratively, unwilling to make a decision or move forward on anything
1: analysis paralysis. I made a video about it. Yep. You told yep. me that when coronavirus started, a lot of your business transitioned from PI, I guess at that time, to corporate law.
0: So I pivoted the marketing focus number one and because we've always been known as personal injury firm, but people we've always done the other type of litigation, which is breach of contract stuff. So Immediately, I kind of forecasted that personal injury was gonna slow down a little bit, and it did pretty significantly at the start. Um, But I also knew there's gonna be a ton of breach contract because nobody was gonna be paying anybody. So I just pivoted my marketing, and we pulled in a lot of breach contract stuff. And we had always done the work. If I had somebody like you call me up, say, listen, this guy, you know, screwed me over on a contract. I would say, listen, this is what we're gonna do. I have a unique retainer set up. We're going to, we'll help you out. Right. Now I was just making the general public aware that we were doing. So I just pivoted. Like we are a very um, fluid, fast pivoting organization as a whole. My whole team is highly adaptable. So if I come in and say, guys, we need to pivot tomorrow, they pivot and my marketing pivots. So it's, it's worked out really well
1: you love marketing you love marketing. love marketing talk to me about social media what do you do differently as an attorney what type of marketing do you do law. yeah What's that? what type of marketing do you do on social as well okay
0: so one i don't talk about law right no one cares about lawyers or law firms or their big verdicts i might celebrate a big win but the majority of my social media stuff is about communication and uh, audience connection, right? So I like inspirational stuff because I like to be inspired. Uh, So I'll post that on Facebook. On LinkedIn, I'm building my connections right now. It's a B2B format. I have a B2B business. So there I'm focusing on the demographic I'm looking for with LinkedIn. Instagram is top of mind awareness, right? So all through COVID, I would put up a post a day. Mostly inspirational stuff. Hey, we're open. I signed up a mass tort case off of that. A very, what should be a very high return mass tort case. Just because I was posting every day when I was back in the office, I got a call from somebody who knew me said, Hey, I I remember I saw you on Instagram posting and I had put it on my to-do list to call you. Well, I'm making the call. It's a real case. Took the case going forward. Nice.
1: Nice. And you you have a staff basically around creating content that fits your needs and everything all the time to post on social,
0: right? Yeah. So I have an outside marketing company that I use, but I'm the one that comes up with the direction I want to take it in because I really, of course, I wanted to jive with who we are. Like you know me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a blue collar guy. I'm a blue collar attorney. I'm not fancy. I don't drive a fancy car.
1: You love jujitsu.
0: I love jujitsu. I like to. I like to have my friends choke me out. You know, and and you and I have rolled before. You know, so I want what we put on social media to jive with who we are behind the scenes, and how we talk to our clients. The whole thing. We have very strong core values that took years to develop, and it's been a very nice process to see the way the firm culture has transitioned. The client communications reflect that and so it's all a very integrated approach
1: let me tell you tough tom you're hella tough for a 50 year old
0: <laughs> well you were sandbagging me i didn't know you were like number two in the number two in the county
1: i wasn't that good come on you were nasty
0: i was i had trouble walking the next day let's put it that way
1: you're funny you're funny. Well you got your whole setup of mats and saunas and everything in your basement, the gym, everything. No wonder you're training all the time. All the time, all the time. When corona happened, everybody was scrambling to get a home gym together, including myself. You had it all set up for yourself. Nothing changed.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: But your gym's still closed, I'm guessing, right?
0: The jujitsu, yeah, I haven't trained jujitsu. Um, I was actually looking at the training dummies that they sell online last night because I'm getting so itchy to train. I'm like, I'll do something. It'll keep me fresh, you know? It's just, it's too, um, there are people that are training, but it's too, to me, it's too risky right now. Yeah. You know, without knowing too much about what the real ramifications are, the virus or anything else.
1: Yeah, I had it last month. You bought me- I know, I
0: know.
1: You bought me masa ball suit. Yes. Got it delivered to my house. You see, that's what makes a good attorney, doing things differently, caring. (laughs) Caring, right? I bet
0: your real estate attorney didn't send you monster ball suit.
1: Nope, it was you and uh, I think it was Alan. I think Alan sent me something, who you also introduced me to. Yep, yep. How funny is that? And talking about tough, I know you're one of the toughest negotiators I have ever met in my life. You recommended to me Never Split the Difference. Yep. You like Chris Voss?
0: I love Chris Voss. So that book was game-changing to me. Uh, I read it when it first came out. I had a very significant um, mediation coming up. I'm going back years now, but I comped out what we thought this case was worth among some of the top legal minds that are in my inner circle. And And I ended up what's that?
1: Give me some numbers.
0: So I asked a bunch of people, a bunch of partners, litigation guys in law firms, same as me, same age bracket, been doing it a long time. And everybody said, ah, cases got a value of, you know, 300 to 400. I walked out with 750. So I was like, all right, I know that this works, right? Like I've tested it, it's battle tested. I've made seven figures worth of revenue just off of the skills that I garnered. I saw the guy speak live. I went to an eight hour class that he taught in the city. Yeah.
1: Wow, cool.
0: Yeah, let me tell you, it's battle tested, but a lot of it is common sense that people don't use. Um, Active listening, like just listen, active listening. It's very difficult to do. And most attorneys are horrible at it. So when you're negotiating with attorneys, they just want to hear themselves talk, right? And so that book is probably, I think I bought that book for about 20, 25 people for the holidays in the past. Um, I've read it probably a dozen times. Wow. And the good thing is, no matter what we talk about today, people are so freaking lazy. I don't have to worry about anybody picking it up that's going to be against me on a negotiation. No one will read it. And that gives me a competitive advantage.
1: Yeah, I recommended it to a few friends and I've, they all sent me pictures reading it. I was very impressed.
0: Yeah, it's a game changer when people put in that kind of work. And to me, I walk out and go, now I got a worthy adversary. Like this is somebody who's gonna make me work today, you know?
1: Yep, hey, I thought I was a good negotiator. I negotiate on things no matter what, whether I'm good at or somebody's way better or not. I'd always try and negotiate. I learned that from my parents.
0: Right, and your parents are some of the top negotiators I know, so.
1: God, my dad is scary good at negotiating. I
0: I read the book too, though. Your mom, I know your mom and dad almost, I want to say 20 something years, right? So your mom was one of the first people, I think I told you the story. I represented her on a case. Yeah, her car accident. And she tried to negotiate my fee at the end. And she was the first time. And I was like, look, because your mom's very petite. And she's tough, though. She's really tough. She got a tough side to her. And uh, I said, look, I, I can't do it. You know, time to negotiate was up front. We made a deal. We got a deal. deal's deal is a deal. So, but we have like a mutual respect. And I mean, your parents, I think the world of your parents, they're amazing people.
1: Yeah, they're the best. I love them to death. Oh,
0: they're amazing. They're amazing.
1: When I read that book, I thought the whole book was written about my father, you know, because he is so naturally good. It's It's the balls he has. He has no shame in negotiating at all. He doesn't see the shame. He sees it as more and more for me you know, less for the competition and I love that about him. And it doesn't matter how small. I've seen him negotiate over a dollar. I'm not kidding. $1. There's people
0: like there's people like you, me, your dad, that really love the game of negotiation. Yes. It's not about listen, it's not about what I'm negotiating over, how much I'm negotiating over. I just love the back and forth of negotiation. I love I've read easily dozens of books on negotiation. Taking classes ever. This is by far the best read on negotiation ever, and it's responsible for creating multiple seven figures in wealth over and over again. For me, the people I know that have actually embraced it and and done it, and now it's required reading for the attorneys in my firm. They got to know it.
1: Never split the difference. Everyone's got to read split it. split
0: the difference,
1: man. You know I've. Uh... When you recommended that book to me, I picked it up the next day, I read it, um, and and I listened to the podcast. I did both. Uh not the podcast, the audiobook.
0: Yes, the audiobook's great too.
1: Phenomenal. I, I learned more from the audiobook. I actually like absorbed the information. And the main thing that I realized I was not doing that works so well, it's scary well, is mirroring. The mirroring yeah. strategy total game changer for me i do it all the time now now i started subconsciously doing it right you know and and you're gonna love this so i posted a deal i'm working on a deal right now on patchog um it's a nice mixed use deal it's pretty big uh you know my typical deal size range that i is my bread and butter is between like a quarter million and Seven hundred fifty thousand. I close those every month, almost something in that range. Now I'm starting to go up past a million dollar range. It feels good. I'm happier. I like to be there, and I could see myself continue to grow. Uh, what's been falling on my lap is a lot of these mixed use buildings. So I find this building. Um, a broker sent it to me when I posted a video of the property I was looking at in Patchogue. He sends this to me. He goes, the asking's one point eight. I run the numbers, and I'm like. 1.8 doesn't make any sense at all, but this is what it's listed for. Right? So I go, listen, the building's worth a million dollars. I'll put in a million dollar offer. I want to put 15% down and I want the seller to hold financing. The brokers like you're on crack. He's like uh, seller financing at a million dollars. You're offering him like over under, you know, like 40% of what he's asking for. And, uh, or whatever it is, 50% almost. Um, or more even he's, he's saying you're offering him 50% under what he's asking for and you want him to hold seller financing. I'm like, just, I, it took me time just to convince him to go and say it. You know, I was like, give me his phone number. I'll propose it because I think he was embarrassed. So he proposes it. He sends me the LOI and I changed the LOI. I sent it back to him 900,000 instead. And he's (laughs) like, he's like, you changed the terms. I was like, yeah, because you know what? There's no harm in going lower. You won't believe it today they called back they said they're totally entertaining the offer he called them back he's like i cannot believe this they're totally entertaining the offer they asked for proof of funds and uh, i think they're gonna counter at like 1.1 1. 1. and the and the reason the trick right everybody's like oh, you know i can't find any properties there's no good deals this is a typical deal the guy just listed at 1.8 so he's not getting any offers
0: right so the, the the one big takeaway from the book and the biggest thing for, that was a, a really poignant statement and a really simple statement was no deal is better than a bad deal. And that gives you the fortitude to say, hey, listen, I woke up this morning. I didn't have this deal. I'm going to make an offer that's a good offer for me. And if I go to bed and I don't have this deal, then I don't have this deal. But I'm not going to entertain a bad deal just because they're listing it way too high, right? So for us, we always have the alternative of, I've got some really hungry litigation attorneys in my firm. So if they don't want to settle the case, we had a case I'll tell you about last week, it's a much smaller thing, it's a $100,000 case. We have a binding arbitration set up at the end of the month where a judge, a retired attorney or a retired judge who's the arbitrator is gonna render a binding decision, right? So they could put anywhere from zero to a hundred on the case. The carrier in the city that represents a lot of cab companies calls up and says, "We'll give you thirty-five thousand settle case." Now there are law firms that would have settled that case. Really? We're like, no hundred grand, hundred grand all day long, or we'll see you at the arbitration." Go to the arbitration, we get the award, hundred grand. Right? So. I'm not gonna accept 35 grand on a case I know we're gonna hit them on.
1: Yeah.
0: And as long as the client's okay with it, we tell the client, look, if you want to accept it, that's up to you, you drive the boat, you want 35 grand, we'll settle it today. But I don't recommend it. I think your injuries are much higher. Yeah. And the client trusted us, went forward 100 grand. So that was a pretty transformational statement. No deal is better than a bad deal.
1: Yeah. You're right. And now for those people that don't know, how do you make money from that hundred grand case?
0: We get one third. So on a hundred thousand dollars, it's a thirty three thousand thirty three thousand dollar legal fee. Um, And, you know, it's a personal injury case. So it's contingency. If we get zero, then we don't get paid.
1: Well, you lost money, right?
0: Well, we'll we'll lose money because we'll have expenses into the file. Yeah. but we have a really good eye for evaluation and approach and we always advise the client again a very holistic approach because what's best for them is usually gonna be best for us and vice versa we're on the same page
1: a hundred percent a hundred percent and usually that right what's the saying i think it was even in the book it's like uh at a closing everybody's got to be happy. Everybody's got to give a little bit, but at the end of the closing, everybody should be happy. Somebody got paid, somebody bought a new property, and uh, somebody was in the middle of that deal that you know made a profit for brokering it, whatever. Right. Right. So what's next, Tom? What
0: do you see next happening? For us? Like for me and you? No, for you. Well, so for me... Well, look, I, I can say for both of us, I mean, we're in very similar spaces. I mean, you remind me of a... 25 year old version of myself, you know, um, with, well, listen, I had a full head of hair at 25. It just, it went away. <laughs> um, so look, I, I think that whether it's 2021 or 2022, things are going to get better. Right. And in the scheme of life, another year to two years is a blip, right? We just made it through probably the worst of it, I hope. Yeah. Um
1: New York's still shutting down. So
0: right. but it's about it's about resilience, right? It's not you can't be fragile. Like when I said to somebody, look, this could go on to 2022, 2023. This could be normal. They were like, I can't do it. I'm like, What do you mean you can't do it? What's your option? Right? And yeah. we you know what Winston Churchill as Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, just keep going. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what we gotta do.
1: Well said. Well said. Tell me, it's just popped into my mind. Why do attorneys always say don't go to law school?
0: Um, I would think they don't go to law school because they're not doing what they're passionate about. Um so if, if you talk to an attorney that loves what they do, they fall into one of two camps. They're a great technician and that's what they wanna do. They wanna do great lawyering and that's what they wanna do. Or they fall into the other camp where they're very entrepreneur oriented and <clears throat> they love the business of law, right? So early in my career, I love trying cases and I love lawyering. I love the chess game of litigation. And I loved winning, right? And we did it a lot. I did it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, I'm in the second camp. I love entrepreneurship. And I now hire great litigators and attorneys. Um, I'm infinitely more fascinated with the business of law and the challenges that come with running a business, growing a business that is filled with different personalities, and it's way different risks and rewards than just being a technician. Right? How many how many wins do I have to have before I my ego feels gratified? I'm a good lawyer. Yeah. Right? When you own a business, the challenges never stop.
1: I love how you answered that because it's you just made something so big, you know, fit into the category of lawyering, like what you're doing. You just put it into your category although what you really just said was like such a big picture right it's i talk to people all the time and they say i'm like why are you going to be a pa or an rn right Right. why why are you going to uh work in finance and their answer is because i'll make a lot of money i'm like well what do you really like to do and somebody will answer linguistics somebody will answer teaching you know somebody else will answer litigation so why don't you pursue your passion because there's so much money in everything you know it's such a big world but you
0: have a you have a growth minded you have a growth mindset, right? So there is money to be made. Like I, I, my daughter's young, you know, you've seen my daughter, she's 10. When, when people say to her, what do you want to do? You know, she doesn't know what she wants to do. yet. But I tell her whatever you want to do, you gotta love it. Yeah. And then the money will come. Yeah. Right? Like I love the business a lot. It's very financially rewarding the way I do it. And I love that as we grow and scale, I can help more and more people with the same cookie cutter model of lawyering, which is top tier litigation, right? But if I didn't love this, I'd be a guy who'd tell people don't go to law school. You know, I tell people, if you're passionate about the law or debate, and you know, the idea of argument and litigation, um, or you like the transactional side, like you're great at what you do because you eat live sleep and breathe real estate and finance yeah and that's why to you it doesn't feel like 20-hour days even though you're putting in 20-hour days when most of your friends could be going out drinking and partying you're analyzing deals and you love it you
1: love it i love deals i love doing deals and then and real estate gave me the opportunity to learn more about other businesses and people and figure things out That's my passion. The intricacies of real estate. I hate it. I can't stand it. But for that, I hired two technicians in my office, you know, right. so finally I've given myself the opportunity to take that off of my chest off my shoulders. And now I could work on doing more deals.
0: Yeah. And you need technicians that love doing the work, right? That love the nuts and bolts of the operations and all of that stuff, whether it's the lawyering, the paralegaling, or the, the, the real estate deals. And then occasionally you find people who have that entrepreneur mindset and then you move them up to a yep. different thing. Because they, they're not gonna wanna stay technicians once they're expert at it. Once they're expert, then you gotta look at, okay, what's- They have what's to happened? see
1: your vision. They have to see the person, like your technicians yes. must see your vision that you're trying to make this a better place for all of them together, right? You've talked to me about stock options with your staff endlessly. You know, those opportunities right. in the future. And because of your vision, because you see forward and you see the opportunities they're going to have, I think they feed off of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So we, we, you know, we, in our firm, that's the other thing, we have a massive amount of benefits, health insurance, uh, profit sharing. Um, we look at ASOPs, which is the employee stock option plans. I haven't implemented that yet. It's just something I've looked at because I don't even know how it works with law firms. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that's been a big shift for me is I've seen a lot of partners in law firms have a different standard for what they want for themselves versus the people that work for them, right? Well, I'm gonna take off between Christmas and New Year's but everybody else got to come in. Why, why? They have families and if they bust their ass and they're excellent all year long, why do they have to come in and you get to stay home? Why shouldn't they all get to relax and refresh, right? So I don't have the same standard. Like if they're killing it, we're killing it together. There's no, there's no, oh, Tom gets certain treatment. They get certain treatment.
1: Well said. Well said. Now I, I, I've always known, but I also see, and I I hope other people could see, I hope maybe you get some business for this or from this or some connections or something, but why your staff and the people that you work with always love to work with you because you really are Looking to provide value to everybody in your circles.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm a very demanding person. Like, if you're working here and you've made it to the 90-day mark, and and you're continuing to grow, you're an A-player because I don't want B-players in my organization. Yeah, you know, so I treat you like an A-player. You know, like I don't I don't hire people to micromanage them they're all paid at the top of their field plus plus. Yeah. I let them do what they're supposed to do. The lawyers are responsible for lawyering and the, the paraprofessionals are responsible for their jobs. I don't have to micromanage it.
1: Yep. There's a degree, right, of micromanaging, but that's built on the systems that you've implemented.
0: It's all systems, but they've developed the systems and they're self-policing. They're all grown ups They don't need yep. me playing that role, Yeah. you know? They have done my team has done miraculous things during this crisis so i will always look at them and say we went through this shoulder to shoulder we're building this shoulder to shoulder and anything i can do to show that gratitude i have to do it's my job
1: well tom this has been a wonderful podcast seriously I hope people have learned a lot from this, and if they haven't, go to Tona Law, and uh, you know, if you need a lawyer, hire do Tom a Dona. Research, do a yeah, do some research, recommend him out. There's no referral fees because that's illegal, but uh, no, but make some introductions, and it's awesome. And Tom, I want to end on on this note. I want to ask you a question before we finish here. Sure. You always give me advice, right? I'm gonna be selfish here. I want you to give me some advice for the future, five years ahead. What can I implement right now that'll benefit me in five years from now?
0: Okay, so you know I don't like to give advice unless people ask, but since you're asking, my two pieces of advice would be this. One, listen to your gut always, right? It's never wrong. Um, If you don't know the answer to something, meditate on it. You know I'm a big meditator, I love meditation, and the answers will come. Always listen to your gut. Two. Monitor and protect your inner circle fiercely, right? Your inner circle today will predict where you'll be in five years. Take care of the people that take care of you in that circle and be as generous with them as they are with you. And that would be the the two biggest needle movers for me have been those two pieces of advice.
1: Tom, you're the man. It's been a pleasure having you and a good conversation. I know we'll have another one about this long tomorrow on the phone in the car on the way home. So, yep. Yep. Thanks for coming, man. It's been a pleasure, seriously.
0: Awesome. awesome. Thanks, for thanks for having, having me. 844 Donald free if anybody needs anything.